Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel in the teaching of Jesus. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confronted or confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell them tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The word of the Lord. When I looked at the calendar and saw that Valentine's Day was right before I had planned on doing a stewardship sermon on relationships, I thought, what should I preach on? And then I realized all the husbands are probably in trouble for getting something on Valentine's Day, so conflict and resolving conflict, that was my solution. Actually, I planned this without even looking at the calendar and thinking about what time of the year it is and just looking at the idea that we ourselves as humans just have a difficult time with conflict. Uh, I know that I have a difficult time with conflict, dealing with conflict well, um, and, and doing it in a godly way and in a, in a way that leads towards restoration. And I thought it might be good for me to study what it means to seek biblical rev- uh, resolution and reconciliation of a conflict. And so I began to think about what we might do in, in thinking about the biblical principles of conflict. The first thing I think that I wanted to think about and I wanted to bring to our attention and for us to to begin to kind of mull over a little bit is the idea that the relationships in our lives have been given to us by God. That they've been blessed to us and that we have been offered them as stewards of those relationships. Now this includes more than just the relationships that we enjoy. That even the relationships that bring us hardship and difficulty are relationships that God has blessed us with that we might steward them. That's a difficult thing for us to hear, right? That sometimes the relationships in our lives that are difficult for us might have a purpose that God intended as we steward those relationships. Most of us, when we think of stewardship, we think of three things. What are those three things? We think of time talents, and we think of treasures. So for a long time, I've been trying to think of a T word for relationships because I wanted to add relationships in, thinking that's a key thing that the church often misses when we talk about stewardship. And uh, at first, somebody came up with the idea of ties, and I really like the term ties because it really encapsulates this idea that even the relationships we have which are difficult— are also somehow we're called to steward and be good stewards in the midst of those relationships. And so in those relationships uh, that we're tied to, it might be, for example, a friend of mine, um, an ex-professor from my undergraduate, talked about um, the fact that he was hit in uh, an accident by a young girl who was not paying attention to the road and instead was playing with her radio. 
And he talked about how his life and her life became inextricably tied together as they had to go through the process of insurance and working things out together. And she ended up really injured and he didn't. And she, she was in the hospital and he tried to minister to her while she was in the hospital despite the fact that the accident was her fault. And the accident in, impacted his life in lots of negative ways, right? He didn't have his car anymore. It was totaled and all kinds of stuff. And yet his life for some reason was then tied to this girl's life and he had to steward that relationship well, even in the midst of conflict. I oftentimes tell youth group kids over the last 20 years, uh, I tell them that you're missing out if you just run away from conflict in the church. Because I think that sometimes the reason why people around us rub us the wrong way or make us angry or irritate us or we have conflict with them is because God is providing us an opportunity to become more like Jesus as we steward that relationship. To show forbearance, to show grace, to show forgiveness as we deal with people who may not necessarily get along with us all the time. And when we run away from those things, we miss We miss an opportunity to grow a little bit in our patience and our Christ-likeness as well. It really, really hurts when we lose a friend. I think it's probably one of the biggest pains I've ever had. It's not just losing a friend to death, but when we lose a friend because of conflict that happens in the midst of that relationship. Correct? I think all of us have probably felt it in some way or another. And I've talked about a specific relationship in my life, and I'm going to share a little bit more. I had a friend who, in high school, I met, and he had moved to California and was kind of new, and I got to know him through a PE class, and we just hit it off. We became best friends. We did all kinds of stuff together. We ended up working together at his stepdad's company. We, we were inseparable for many, many years. We supported each other. We loved each other. I flew across the country when he was stationed in the Marines in Washington, D.C., and I helped him drive two cars across the country when he moved back to California. We did all kinds of stuff for each other, and yet there was a moment in time in our life when whenever I went over to his house, whenever I called him, whenever I was seeking a relationship with him, what I got back from him was oftentimes a comment like, oh, who's this at my door? Or who's this calling me? Who's this guy? I don't even know who he is. He's so busy, he doesn't get to be friends with me anymore. And I got sick and tired of it. You want to know why? Because I was the one who always reached out to him. And so one day when he really razzed me about it after I had gone over to his house and I was actually helping him tile part of his house, I got so frustrated, I was like, forget this. You know what? I'm never calling him again. I'm never going to his house again. And let's see what happens then. And I pretty much never talked to him after that. Until just a few years ago, we got reconnected. And I regretted that decision every single moment. You see, if I had been more mature, if I had not let that, those, those words irk me to a point where I would just run away from it rather than deal with it, what I might have done is I might have pulled him aside and I might have said, hey, you know when you say that, it really hurts my feelings because I feel like I put a lot of energy into our relationship and I love you a lot. And it hurts me. It makes me feel like you don't actually understand or respect how much time I actually do put into the relationship. You're one of my best friends and I spend more time with you than anybody else. Had I said that, he probably would have been like, oh, geez, I'm so sorry, right? Yeah, he probably would have. 
Judging from the fact that when I finally called him like 20 years later, or 13, 14 years later, he was like, oh, I just kind of thought we both got busy and grew apart. <laughs> he didn't even think of it, right? We could have kept our relationship. We could have had all those years that we wouldn't have lost if I had just been a little bit more mature and understood how to deal with that conflict a little bit more fruitfully. So Jesus teaches us in his scriptures. He says, go to the person first. Go to the person first and pull them aside when you're alone and have a conversation with them heart to heart about how you've been hurt by them. Go to the person first. There's so many things I think we can learn from this in Jesus' teaching about what it means to deal with conflict. The first thing I think we learn about this when we go to the person first is it, it forces us to recognize the humanity of the person we're in conflict with. It forces us to recognize the humanity of them. Right? When we run away or when we make them somebody that just is that person over there or an object or an enemy, then in some way or another, we forget in some way that they are human too and they're prone to mistakes just like I am. But when we go to them, we recognize their humanity. We recognize our place of relationship with them and we are seeking to be humans together in relationship. The other thing I think we learn is that we deal with the conflict and the problem head on. How many of you are gardeners in here? I know Mike is. Mike, how hard is it to pull a weed out after you've let it grow up to its full height versus when it's tiny? It's a lot harder. We all know this instinctually. If you let the weed continue to grow, what's going to continue to grow deeper down holding it in? The roots. It's going to gain deeper uh, connection, and it's going to be harder for you to rip that, that weed out of the ground. But if you catch it when it's small, it's just like barely plucking it out of the dirt, right? And so the same thing in conflict in our relationships, when we deal with it right away, when we deal with it head on, when we don't let it fester, when we don't let it grow roots, it's easier to deal with. When we let it fester within our hearts and we let it just keep going on, then we begin to see every single action of the person who we're in conflict with through that lens. And it begins to magnify and it begins to explode the problems that we, that we think we have with the person in our minds, correct? And then it becomes even more difficult to deal with it because now we've compounded the hurt over time. All of us have been guilty of this. I've been guilty of this many times in my life. And I wish I would have just dealt with it right away, expressed my feelings, asked for them to tell me what was on their mind, what they meant by that, rather than letting it fester. The third thing I think we see when Jesus says go to them is that we are making an opportunity for reconciliation. We are making an opportunity for reconciliation. When we're the ones who initiate, even though we're the ones who have been hurt, we are offering an opportunity for the relationship to be restored in some way or some sort of reconciliation to happen in that relationship. The other person might not have known that they ever even did something wrong. Or they might not be mature enough to admit that they did something wrong without being confronted. And so if we take the lead and we act in a more mature way and we offer our hand at reconciliation, then at least there's a chance if we don't, is there any chance for reconciliation? Probably not. A couple caveats. A couple of caveats. 
In this passage, Jesus is clear to say, when someone sins against you. When someone sins against you. Okay? In our world, in our world, it's kind of become normative that if you're offended, then automatically it must mean the other person is wrong. Right? Have you noticed that in culture lately? Raise your hand if you've noticed that on Facebook. All right. When I'm offended, then obviously the other person must be in the wrong. But let me just tell you this. Sometimes, sometimes when you're offended, nothing was done wrong at all. And you should join Elsa and just let it go. (laughs) I often do this in my mind. I often think, okay, is this something big enough for me to need to confront? And if I say, no, it's petty and small, I don't want to confront this other person about this stupid little petty thing, then you know what I am called to do in that moment? Let it go. Find a way to forgive whatever it was or to see from a different perspective to allow for it to not just burrow into my heart and create a bitterness in me. Let it go. And if you can't do that, if you can't let it go, then I encourage you to think about forgiveness and and beginning to meditate and think on what forgiveness is. Jesus calls us to this in John 13, a greater law than the golden rule. I give you a new commandment. I call this the platinum rule instead of the golden rule. That you love one another just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. What do we know about the way that Jesus loved us? Sacrificial love. So one thing, it's sacrificial. That it it gives of self for the other. Number two, were we necessarily acting cool towards Jesus when he did that? No. Were we in the right when Jesus forgave us? No. And so those aren't requirements for you to forgive someone else. There's no requirement for you to be in the right and them to be in the wrong, uh, or or for them to be in the right and you to be in the wrong. There's no requirements about um, what kind of condition the relationship needs to be in. It could be the worst condition ever, like humanity's was before God. And yet you're still called towards self-sacrificial love and forgiveness of the other. Now, this is smart psychology. Jesus made humanity. So Jesus knows what goes on in our brains even before pop psychology was able to figure this stuff out. When you forgive someone else, it does as much good for you as it does for the other person. Because sometimes the other person is going to be, and you guys know this, you probably have seen it before, the other person is just going to be like ignorantly walking along not knowing that they did anything to you at all, right? Right? Are they being bothered? Is anything getting into their craw? No. And yet when you're letting it bug you, what is it doing to you? Stressing you out. Might be making you unhealthy. It's making you depressed. It's making you all kinds of anxious, right? And all these things are happening because you're dwelling on it. And so sometimes it's necessary for us to learn how to forgive, how to let go of the things that we feel slighted by or hurt by. And sometimes that means that we need to confront the issue. Sometimes it means that we don't need to confront the issue. You've got to work that out on your own. Paul goes further and Paul says this in Colossians, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul's heart, as he reflected on the teachings of Jesus, was always for forgiveness, for forbearance, for mercy, for peace, for reconciliation. And so as he, even in the book of Corinthians, and calls the church there to call out sin in their midst, he later then explains to them why he gave them the process, which follows Jesus' process of confronting the person, then bringing multiple witnesses, and then giving the, bringing the church in and giving an opportunity for the offender to repent and to seek reconciliation on their end, and then cutting them off when they are not repentant. Even that action, Paul described as being for reconciliation. Because in the church in Corinth, when they cut their brother off who was sinning and wasn't repentant, he eventually did repent and come back to the church. And so the reconciliation efforts worked. So Paul is calling the church to always be for reconciliation some way or another. Another caveat. Another caveat. The church has used this passage to protect victimizers and hurt victims for centuries. And that is not what I'm saying. When you do something that requires criminal action against you or against you because you've done something to somebody else that is, is against even the laws of our secular country, then you must face the consequences of those laws and no one should protect you under any guise of Jesus's forgiveness. We are called as the church to be subjected to the laws of the state and to honor the authority God has given to the state. And so no way am I saying that a victim should ever follow these rules. A victim who's been victimized sexually or victimized physically or in some way done something horrendous against them where they are clearly the more vulnerable person within the relationship. In that case, the church needs to stand up for those who are most vulnerable because we know the heart of Jesus was always to protect and advocate for those who were most vulnerable and most likely to be victims, right? So we know Jesus' heart. And we cannot use this teaching, this passage, as a way of dismissing behavior which needs to be addressed criminally. So I'm not saying that in any way. But most of us are offended at things that aren't criminal. Right? Most of us, most offenses, most offenses in our relationships usually boil down to some type of misunderstanding. To somebody using their words not quite carefully enough and saying something that irks or bugs somebody else. Or even somebody using words in a way that they didn't realize would irk somebody else because of their own personal baggage and the stuff they got going on in their life. And so most of the conflict that we deal with can be dealt with the way that Jesus talks about it. It's important for us to recognize and to read the rest of Matthew 18. Because Jesus goes on to talk about forgiveness and forgiving your brother, not seven times, but seven times, 70 times, a number that's, that's meant to mean a wholeness, a completeness. You forgive it until there's reconciliation that happens. 
So Jesus is calling us to not allow for us to let these things fester in our hearts, to let them things divide us from one another, to let these things become a burden on us, but to deal with it and to offer a chance for reconciliation with those who we've had conflict with. So here's some questions for us to ask. Is something festering in me? You know it because as I've been preaching, you've been bugged by it. And you're not alone, because I probably have four or five things that I've let fester in me, right? God works on me first before I preach any sermon in here. Is something festering me? And then what am I called to do with that? Am I called to confront, or am I called to let go and forgive, because it's not a big enough issue, and it's probably my misunderstanding? Or is it big enough that I need to let the person know and deal with it head on, so that this doesn't become something that's out of control? So then we need to ask the question, do I need to forgive someone? Do I need to do the active work of forgiving someone? Now, you've heard the phrase, forgive and forget. Does God forgive and forget? No. God does not forget. Because where are our sins accounted to? The cross. Then if God forgot, then that means he would demean the work of Jesus on the cross. He doesn't forget. He just gives a a response to that is not proportionate to the offense given. And the response is grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. And so this is how we're to act. We need to forgive someone. We need to act with grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and hope. Last thing, do I need to ask forgiveness for someone else? Do I need to ask forgiveness from someone else? Have I potentially done something that's hurt a relationship on accident or on purpose and I knew what I was doing and yet I still did it anyways? Whatever it might be, am I someone who needs to ask for forgiveness And apologize and tell somebody that I didn't really mean to hurt them or that I'm sorry that I hurt them. As you reflect and think about these questions, don't be like these two guys. Don't respond in negative ways. But find a way to always seek reconciliation. Find a way to forgive as often as you can. Find a way to offer hope and love to everyone in your life so that they might see Jesus through you. Amen. Friends, difficult words from Jesus, and yet he promises us that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will guide us and counsel us and lead us all into all things if we would but seek his counsel and surrender to his will. And so this morning, as we think about our need to bring reconciliation in the relationships around us, to deal with conflict in godly ways, seek the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to give you the courage. Ask the Spirit to give you every word you need and every bit of action you need in order to offer and extend your hand so that reconciliation might happen. And trust, and trust that when you seek out in that way that God will use it in some way to bring his glory on this earth. Now, may the God of forgiveness make you an ambassador of forgiveness in his name. Amen.